Okay, good morning. Good morning. Our Amunasha this morning is Leila Nishmas. What was the name? Leia Runya. Neshama should have an Aliyah. We're going to continue what we began last week, which is in the Slonim Rebbe. And uh, it is specific to the month of Elul, but it's also general to our relationship with Hashem and our sense of Amunah more broadly. So relevant to us throughout the entire year. He was uh, dealing with this Pasuk that we recite when we take the Torah out at Mincha on Shabbos. Which is very hard to translate. I am my prayer. What does that even mean? What does it even mean? Some explain David HaMelech said different psukim. But the David HaMelech was saying my whole life is a prayer. As I walk through life, I'm davening. I'm davening while I drive my car. I'm davening while I'm baking the chal. I'm davening when I'm going to work. I'm davening when I'm driving carpool. My whole life is a prayer. All of my life is directed to you as a prayer to you. But the Slotim Rebbe here had a different interpretation. In the context of El, Anila, Dodi, Vidodi, Li, he spoke about the notion of submitting ourselves to Hashem, of being mevatel ourselves, of trying to make our will conform to Hashem's will. I'm not living life for my happiness. I'm living life for holiness. I'm living life to aspire to fulfill the will of Hashem. In any given moment, I'm not asking, what do I want? What would make me happy? What would give me pleasure? But in any given moment, I'm saying, what does God want from me right now? What will give God nachas ruach? And he spoke about this notion of, ani lidodi vidodi li, my ani, my whole sense of self, my ego, who I am, lidodi, it's directed to Hashem. Now you understand why I had... uh, marriage and engagement on the mind. But last week I spoke about the fact that, right, the, the Kala walks around the chasen seven times, puts him at the center of her circle. He reciprocates and puts a ring on her finger, puts her at the center of his circle. Marriage, relationships, are about putting the other at the center of your circle. Ani lidodi. Hashem, my circle, lidodi. You're at the center of my circle. All that I'm doing, if I'm eating or sleeping or, or relaxing, it's because I'm re-energizing to serve you. Every decision I make, every place I go, every expenditure, every everything, Hashem Ani Lidodi, who I am, my whole essence, my identity, my ego, my Ani is Lidodi. And that's how the Salam Rabbi explained this Pasak. Vani Svilasi, regarding my Ani, as regarding my sense, my sense of self, regarding my identity, regarding who I am, Svilasi, my prayer regarding my Ani is Lecha Hashem that I can successfully direct it to you. That as I live life, I feel your presence in my life, and I measure my life by wanting to make you happy. You know, there are people, we all know that we, we have a continued, the human psyche is designed that we get amazing pleasure by giving nachas to the people that we love, the people who we feel indebted to. Right? So most notably our parents. We know that no matter what age, we still get great nachas when we give our parents we still get great pleasure when we give our parents nachas. So the people who live life constantly saying, what, what would give my parents nachas? Is this the right thing? My, my parents getting nachas. So the ultimate parent, Avinu Sheba Shemayim, for Hashem to ask it with everything that we do. Is this the right thing to do, the right place to go, the right things to say, and so on and so forth. Okay, so that's what we did last week. Until last week was this notion of being mevatal mayani, to make our will conform. Not to ask Hashem's will to conform to our will. Hashem, I really want to go there, eat that, do this, watch this. So I'm going to make your will conform to mine. But no, I say, what does God want? And I'm going to make my will conform to His. What will give Him nachas ruach? So we're on the left-hand column. V'zeu perush v'anis filasi. Everyone see where we are? Page Rishon on Aleph, the left-hand column. What does it mean, Be'es Ratzon? 
in an ace rotson, an auspicious time, but really in a time of need. Hashem, when I'm in a time of need, I'm not looking for you to drop what you're doing and again, submit yourself to me. I, in that time of need, say, Hashem, I forfeit myself, I concede myself, I submit myself to you. Life is not about me or my ego. It's not about how big my name can get, how many likes I can get, how many follows I can get, how viral I can go. Right? That's the world that we live in, where happiness is measured by how prominent you are. That's why we also see such a world of anxiety and depression and unhappiness and all the challenges that go with it, particularly among celebrities and athletes, because you know what happens? You go viral and you get fame and you get fortune and you're still not happy because you realize the truth is that's not what brings happiness. That's not what brings happiness. So happiness is not about how viral I can go, how big my name can get. Happiness is when you're willing to be so humble and so modest that you say, Hashem, I submit myself to you. I'm here for a higher purpose. I'm here for a mission. There's nothing more satisfying and gratifying than being on a mission and completing that mission. If you've ever volunteered, if you've ever taken on a project, if you've ever led an effort and it meets success, you've made progress, you feel phenomenal. It's better than any food you could eat, any drug you could take, any alcohol you could drink. It gives you a greater high to feel a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, to have set goals, to achieve them, to make a difference, to matter is much greater, much more gratifying than anything else. So Hashem, in my ace ratzon, in my time of need, I don't make it about me, but I make it about l'cha Hashem. Hashem, I give myself over entirely to you. I'm here for you. Where do you want me next? What's my next assignment? What's my next mission? What do you need from me right now? Is there a greater Ace Ratzon than Elul? Elul is the Ace Ratzon. Elul is the time in which we are evaluating our lives, reflecting on our lives. I just spoke about in the 10 minutes of Mesil Sisharim, the notion of the importance of self-reflection. Because we live in a world that doesn't want us. It's not that it doesn't want us. It doesn't allow us to pause and reflect. We're moving in hyperspeed, 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 noise, noise, noise. We're connected, connected, connected. We collapse and fall asleep. We wake up, we start it all over again. And we're just moving. We're moving on this moving sidewalk of life, which seems like it's speeding up. And it's moving so fast. And we're so connected that there's no, no room to reflect. And if there's no room to reflect, how can you introspect? I started a challenge with a group of guys. And we have a whole spreadsheet to, to evaluate ourselves three minutes a day where you put your phone on airplane mode, set a timer, and sit there and do nothing. Now, when we first started it, we said we're going to challenge each other. We said, let's do 10 minutes a day. Hispodidus, we're going to do hispodidus, to just sit and think for 10 minutes a day. And 10 minutes, do you know how long 10 minutes is? It's an hour. 10 minutes feels like forever. Three minutes, three minutes is a long time. And it's nothing, it's three minutes. To sit there, phone goes off, you turn it on airplane mode. No, no. You sit there and you just breathe. You breathe. And what you do with that time... No, so... And what you do with that time, everyone can decide for themselves. If you want to... So some people like to meditate with an agenda. I want to think of three things I'm grateful for. I want to think about my day. I want to think about... Some dafka, real pure meditation, is supposed to be where you get to a point where you're thinking about nothing. Your brain is emptied. You're thinking about nothing. Others meditate on Hashem's name. Fill that however you want. But do you understand that not only for your soul, but for your body, how healthy that is, that three minutes, breathing. just doing deep breathing, mm-hmm. 
and you're disconnecting and you're reflecting, you're going to a place of self-reflection. It's unbelievably healthy and you feel re-energized and reinvigorated for the rest of your day. But you wouldn't believe, right? I'm one of the people who agreed to take on this challenge. You know how many days passed and you didn't do it? Do you know what three minutes is in a 24-hour day? It's gornished. It's nothing. It is nothing. And yet, that's just evidence of how much noise and how fast-paced life is that we think I don't have three minutes. Now, it turns out that we wasted not three minutes, but 30 minutes yeah. on that Narishkeit, and an hour on the other Narishkeit, and two hours on the other Narishkeit, and we claim we don't have the three minutes. Yeah. We all have the three minutes. We all have 30 minutes. But it's the mindfulness and it's the commitment to find that three minutes, the tenacity to do it every single day. It's the Elul challenge I give to you. For the rest of Elul, make a, on your calendar, find a time of the day that you can do it, let an alarm come up, put your phone in airplane mode, set the timer on three minutes so it counts down and then buzzes. Don't even look at it, sit with your eyes closed, breathe deeply and think about whatever you want, but be in a reflective mode. And I promise you, the first time you do it, first of all, the three minutes will feel like forever, but I promise you, by, the time, by a week into doing it, the three minutes won't feel long enough. You say, you know what? I was just getting to a great place. My point is that how can you grow without reflection? How can you grow if you never stop and say, where am I? Where was I? Where do I want to go and how do I get there? What are the things that knocked me off course and what are the things that helped me usher me to where I want to go? So says the Salam Rebbe, There's no greater Ace Ratzon than Elul. We're facing the Mehadin. Soon we're going to stand before Hashem and He's going to say, you know, you've just coronated me to be the king for another year. And I'm evaluating my kingdom. Is there a place for you? Should I renew your contract? Do you belong? And you know, if we want to succeed, then we need to make the case for why we matter and why we're mission-driven and why we're committed to the cause and why we're faithful soldiers and why we're in it for Him, not for ourselves. If you're a member of the king, the president's cabinet, and it's all about your fame, your glory, and yourself, and you don't submit to his agenda, to the administration's agenda, you're going to be out. You're out. Because the administration can't afford, the king can't afford somebody's in the pursuit of their own agenda. So Kirsch says, you've just coronated me king. I want to know, are you going to advance my agenda or your own? And so this is the time that we're making that case to the Rebona Shalom. We're preparing our case. A great case, the legal team sits preparing it for a month. We have a month of El, we're preparing our case. It's an Ace Ratzon. And what is the case? Be'es Ratzon, L'cha Hashem. The case in the Ace Ratzon is that my life is for you, Hashem. You, can, you better believe it when I'm up for renewal for my contract. You better believe I'm going to prove to you that I want to advance your agenda. That's not about my agenda. It's not about my name, my glory. I'm in it for you, Hashem. Limsar ko yeshuso l'Hashem isbarach. My entire yesh. My yeshus, my whole existence is for you. It's not just that when Hashem, you said these, these things are off the table, these are also, these are prohibited. So if you said not to do them, I'm not going to do them. It's not just that I'm going to avoid and not do the things that you said I can't do. It's much more global. It's much more broad than that. It's not just the do's and the don'ts. You could be in the administration, you could be in the family, you could be in the marriage, and you say, look, on the do's and don'ts, I got it right. On the checklist, I can check them all off correctly. That's nice, but where are you in the relationship? Do you believe in the mission? Do you believe in what we're trying to do here? In, in work, sometimes you have that conversation with an employee. You say, look, yeah, yeah, you know, you clocked in the right hours, and, you, and you, you handed in your tasks, but do you believe in what we're trying to do here? Are you part of this mission or not? And that's what Hashem says. Do you believe in what I'm trying to do here? And what Hashem is trying to do here is not for Himself. What Hashem is trying to do here is for us, is to perfect His world. 
is try to make it a better world. So this is a very, very high level of living. I'm not suggesting that this is easy because we live in a world, the Western world markets to us all the time. That's not about anyone except you, your pleasure, your happiness, your appetite, what you want. Obey your thirst, just do it. All of marketing, all of advertising is about what brings you pleasure, what makes you happy. Don't worry about the world. What do you want? What makes you happy? And here we come from religion that says, your happiness, who says life is about your happiness? It happens to be that if you advance Hashem's agenda, you will feel happier than anything else can provide. Because it's not, it's not coincidental that the whole population that's pursuing their own happiness is failing to find it and having to numb themselves to that fact. And the people who are not advancing or trying to search for their own happiness, but they're looking to provide it for others, in the end, find their own happiness. So it's very, very hard. This is a very high level to live at this level in, in our world. To sit with the world that says it's all about you, to say it's not about me at all. This is, you know, I'm not the brand. Hashem is the brand. Torah is the brand. Perfecting the world, improving the world, bringing more light into the world. That's the campaign. That's the mission. That's the brand. But to feel Hashem's presence, that nachas. You know, some of you, your parents are still alive, those who they're not. But either way, is there anything more joyful than when a parent said, you know, you're giving me such nachas. Yeah. You know, I, I heard you did this, or I heard you say that, or I know you, and I have such nachas from you. Is there, a, is there, so even if your parents are not here anymore, you know what brings them nachas, because you knew throughout your life when they said that to you. And so we should live life with the feeling that Hashem is on my shoulder. Hashem is with me. He's standing right next to me. And when I've done his mission, when I've advanced his agenda, oh, he's getting such nachas. He's giving me a hug and he says, I'm so proud of you. My kinder, I'm so proud of you. Wow, you're great. We can approach the physical world in one of two ways. We're either indulging in that physical world as animals, the animal component in us, in which case we've lowered ourselves. Or we are embracing the physical world in order to transform it. We are imbuing it with holiness because it is fueling our pursuit of our mission. If we're using it as the fuel that pursues our mission for God, it is transformed into something which is holy. And if we're indulging in it because it's an ends into itself, then we've lowered ourselves. We're no different than an animal. This is a very different, big difference between, I started learning Tanya again recently, and this is a very big difference between the way many of the Bali Musar understand the animal soul that the animal instinct or the attitude towards Gashmias, we have to obliterate it, we have to remove it, we have to purge it from our desires and from our experiences. But the Tanya says no. The Nafesh Bahemi, this lowest level soul and the, and the experience of contact with the physical world is not an, a desire, an ambition that should be um, removed or purged, but it needs to be embraced and then transformed. And that the, the, we live in the physical universe, and that the physical universe has a place and has a role as well. If the goal is to cling to God, to feel connected to God, if the goal is to become one with God, if the goal is to stick with Hashem, stick with Hashem, to feel connected to Hashem, so you can't. Yeah, I have this all the time. Not all the time. Khalid Live, wonderful children. Other people have this all the time with their children. We all know this. We got that. Where the children say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And meanwhile, they disobey and disobey and disregard and neglect what you want from them. And you say to your kid, you know, don't, you say you love me, 
but you can't love me and be close to me and come snuggle with me and cling to me. And at the same time, when I asked you to clean up your room or to turn off your phone or to come back to the table, you didn't listen to me. You, just, you can't disregard me and at the same time cling to me and think that, that it just doesn't work that way. So the same is true with Hashem. If we want to be Davak Bashem, you want to snuggle with Hashem, you want to cling to Hashem, you want to stick with Hashem, you want to feel His love, you want to feel His embrace, you want to feel His shelter, you want to feel His protection, which is why kids come snuggle with their parents. Ultimately what they're saying is, I want to feel you're protecting me. I want to feel that you have my back. I want to feel I can stick with you and it's all going to be okay and you're going to take care of me. And a parent wants to do that, but doesn't want anything more in the world. Doesn't want anything more in the world than their child. Right? And when somebody else wants to take their child to live with them for the rest of their lives, you confirm with them that they are going to protect your child and take care and secure of your most precious child as much as you would. Otherwise, you're not given that permission. So, because that's your most precious thing, that's all a parent wants for a child. So you say to your child, I'll offer that. I want to cling to you and I want to give you that shelter and that snuggle and that, that feeling that I've got you, your back. I want you to stick with me, but it means you have to care about what I want too. You can't ignore me, neglect me, not care about what I want and then think that when you need my shelter, protection, support, love, nurture and snuggle, it's going to all be there for you. So if we want to be davak b'ashem barach. If we want to feel that clinging, that closeness, that Hashem has our back, that we're sticking with Him, that He's involved in every aspect of our lives, you can't at the same time neglect Him, ignore Him, and do only what you want. You can't do what you want in that moment and then think when you need Him, He will be there. <coughs> Nobody wants to be treated that way in a relationship. You don't want that from your spouse, you don't want it from your friend, you don't want it from your children. Nobody in a relationship wants to be treated that way. Oh, you cling to me, you're connected to me, you hang from me, you, you long for me, you, you look for support from me when it's convenient for you. But when I ask you for certain things, or I have certain priorities, or I have a certain agenda, you could care less, you only want to do your own thing. You feel used and abused. The Rebbe Shalom doesn't want to feel used and abused. You want to be Davak Bashem Yisbarach. If we want to cling to Him, and we want to feel His presence, His guiding hand, His warmth, His love, His support, it means caring about what he wants to. The mistake says the Salam Rebbe is that they th- people think that in Elul and Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, it's just about the technical process or journey of tshuva. Okay, I've identified ten things I did wrong last year. Halavai, it's ten things. I identified. <laughs> I identified ten things. I identified ten things I did wrong last year, and. I, I ask for forgiveness, I have remorse, I'm not going to do them again. God, are we good? We're good, God? We're good to go? No. It's not just, are we good? I'm sorry. You know, again, your kid comes to you now because they want that device back or they want the dvekas. They're, they're clinging to you because they need something. And you say, look, I'm, I'm disappointed though because I asked you to do this and you didn't do it. Fine, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I should have done that. And yet you realize, they're only saying they're sorry because they want that thing back. They're only feeling sorry because they want to feel close to you again in that moment. So do you say, are you just saying sorry? Are we good? Or are you saying, you know what? Looking back, I realized that when I did that, you felt ignored. I never want you to feel that way and I'm going to work a lot harder. There's a world of difference. Right. So who are we when we come before Hashem on Hashem Kippur? Who are we when we come before Hashem this Elul? Are we the kid who says, sorry, can I have my thing back? Sorry, can I come out of time out? Sorry, Hashem, can I feel close to you again? Can we snuggle? Or are we saying, no, Hashem, you know, I'm looking back on my year, I'm kind of embarrassed, I'm ashamed that you cared about these things and I just neglected them and I ignored them because I was just pursuing what I want. I was pursuing my own pleasure. I'm pretty ashamed. I'm embarrassed. 
and I really want to renew and restore this relationship. So that's the pshat they say in our Shmona Esrei, in our Amida, we say, Hashiveinu avinu l'sorasecha, and then we say, Slach lanu avinu kichatanu. Hashiveinu avinu means Hashem, return me to you, return me to your Torah. Harotzeh b'tshuva, you who longs for us to want to return, return me. And then we say, Slach lanu avinu, forgive me. Is that the right order? I would have thought it should be the opposite order. First you say, forgive me, I made a bunch of mistakes, and now say, now that I've asked you for forgiveness, I want to feel close to you again. I want to feel close to you again. So I once saw a magnificent interpretation that says, no. Hashiveinu avinu l'sorosecha. Is God, whether you forgive me or not for the technical, I want to be close to you. So if you're going to hold me accountable and I've got to take, you know, you do the crime, you've got to do the time. If you're going to punish me for the mistake I made, I'll take the punishment. I got it. But either way, I want to be close to you. So it's like a kid comes and says, look, I hope you'll let me have my phone back. But I want you to know whether you give me the phone back or not. I really feel bad about the way I spoke to you. You deserve better, and I want to feel close to you, and I love you and respect you. So whether you give the phone back or not, I want you to know that I'm sorry and ashamed for how I behaved, and I'm not going to do that again, because I just want to be close to you, and I want you to be proud of me. Right? That is a world of difference. For then, can I have my phone back? Well, you did X, Y, and Z. Fine, I'm sorry. Now can I have my phone back? And if you get the phone back, then, you know, I really want to be close to you. So we say Hashiveinu before we say Slach Lanu because we're saying Hashem, whether or not you give me my phone back, Hashiveinu Avinu L'Sarasecha. I want to be close to you. I'm ashamed and embarrassed by my mistakes, by my miscalculations, by the pursuit of my own pleasure and ego, by a disregard for what you want. I'm embarrassed and ashamed. Hashiveinu. And I'll get to Slach Lanu in a minute. But whether you'll forgive me or not, whether you'll give me my phone back or not, either way, Hashiveinu Avinu, either way, I want to feel close to you. So this changes entirely the goal and mission of this time of the year. It's not just about the technical forgiveness. It's not just about the technical deeds. It's about evaluating the totality of our relationship, of where are we. I'll tell you something extraordinary I just learned in another context. Um, it's the Sefer Bilvavi Mishkan Evne by Rav Schwartz, I think is his name. And he has a section on Yom Noraim, and he has a beautiful essay in there that I was just looking at this morning. And he talks about the following. He says, I may have mentioned this to you last week, the beginning of it, but he says the following. He says, you know, Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the creation of the world. No, that's a mistake. It's the anniversary of the creation of man. 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 Rosh Hashanah corresponds not with the first day of creation. Rosh Hashanah corresponds with the sixth day of creation. The first of Tishrei was the sixth day of creation. What was created on the sixth day? Man. Man. Humanity. Why does that matter? Because we're not marking the creation of the heavens and the, and the waters and the insects and the creepy crawlies and the birds and the whatever. They can have their own Rosh Hashanah. We're marking the significance of the world, the purpose of the world. Bishvili nivra olam. The world was created for me. Every person should, should feel that way. The world was created for me. Not for me in the ego sense, for me, for my happiness. The world was created for me, meaning that God would have created the whole world just for me. I have a mission. I have something to achieve, to fulfill, to conquer. I have potential to realize I have a best version of myself that the whole world was worthy of creating just for me to be able to pursue that and achieve that. How did God create us? So, He, he created, He crafted us. He took the dust of the ground and He molded it and fashioned it into us. Were we alive at that point? No. We were a wax figure. We were a goylem. We were a nothing. We were a paper mache model. Kodesh Baruch Hu took the earth, 
And he made a beautiful, like a sand, like you make a sand castle, you can make a figure on the beach of sand. Hashem took the dust of the earth and he turned us into, he made a Adam. But then, then he breathed life. He took a deep breath of himself and he breathed life into man, animated man, gave man life. A lot more to say about this. There's a beautiful Sfasemis that the chauffeurs are using that breath to produce that sound. It's affirming that that breath of Hashem is the first original breath he placed within us is still there. Again, a lot more to say, not for now. So the, the body without a soul, is there value? No, it's, it's a dead body. The body without a soul is nothing. It's a corpse. What about the soul without a body? In this world, there's also no value. In the world to come, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. But the soul, if it lacks a body, has no instrument, has no, no medium, no vehicle with which to make choices, right. with which to express free will. Right. So the whole purpose of being in this world, the Ramchal in Derech Hashem says, is when the body houses the soul, the two together are what give us free will to make choices, which is what gives life meaning in this world. Good. Now the body, the body... And soul both need to be nourished. There was a body, there was a soul, you put the soul in the body. Now we walk around and we have two components that were blended into one. Right? We've spoken about this at length ad nauseum. It's not that we are a body that has a soul. We are a soul and the soul is wearing the body. Just like we're wearing clothing right now, but the clothing is not part of who we are. We are who we are and we're wearing clothing. Rav Nachman describes that the soul is wearing the clothing of the body. The body is the garment that the soul wears as it, right? I can't go out in public without clothing. I need clothing to be in public. So the soul, to be in this world, wears clothing that's called the body. But Nachman describes that he can't wait to, just like at the end of the day, he can't wait to take off the suit and the tie and the eh. So his soul longs for at the end of days when he can take off that body which is restricting him and constricting him and is so, he can't wait to fly free and to be a soul. Can't wait to disrobe of that of that body. So we walk around and we're made up of those two components. I'm the body and I'm the soul. I'm both. Now each of the components of who we are needs to be fed. Each of those components needs to be nourished. If the body doesn't eat, it's unhealthy. There are mental illnesses, there are diseases of people who don't want to eat for whatever reason, and they're at risk. The body is at risk if you don't feed the body. The soul too needs to be nourished. If the soul is not fed, it atrophies, it, it, it dies. It dies. They both need to be fed. So here's a fundamental difference, though. This is what the Bilvavi writes between the body and the soul. A healthy body, it's a very unhealthy body if the body senses no appetite. So, right, how do you know when someone's sick? You see somebody who's lost a lot of weight. Often what you'll say to them if they look gaunt and they've lost a lot of weight and it's too quick, you say, is everything okay? Are you healthy? I notice you've lost a tremendous amount of weight. Are you okay? So if they say, I'm on this diet, it's great, I'm, I have a nutritionist, I'm eating healthy now, great answer. But if they say, I haven't been feeling right, you know what, I just have no appetite. I have no appetite. I'm going through a lot, I'm very anxious, and I have no appetite. So the body's at, at, at risk. If the body has no appetite, the body's at risk. Because a healthy body has an appetite. Now, do you have to learn the appetite? No. No. No, a little child knows it skips a meal. It's hungry. It's hungry. Before the child can articulate other desires, the child says, can you make me chocolate milk? Right. First of all, before anything, the newborn baby on the first day of his or her life is already wailing in the middle of the night because the instinctive appetite has kicked in that says, I'm hungry. 
You didn't have to teach the olive base to the baby to know it's hungry. The baby on the first night of its existence wailed knowing it was hungry. And for the rest of our lives, you don't have to sit and think. You don't have to put your phone in airplane mode and determine, hmm, am I hungry? No, your body tells you. You, have to tell the, you don't have to tell the body to eat. What do you have to tell the body? Stop eating. <laughs> you're full. You're full. You've been fed. You're good. Stop eating. Body doesn't have to be told to eat. It has to be told to stop eating. A healthy soul, like that body, should have the appetite to be fed. How is the soul fed? The what is the food of the soul? The mitzvah is what you do. Generically, Torah and mitzvahs, but more specifically, the soul is fed, it's alive when it davens, when it communicates with our Creator. It's fed when it does things for others, when it's selfless, when it gives through chesed. It's fed when it, when it pursues knowledge, learning about Hashem through Torah, through His world. There's food for the soul like there's food for the body. The body instinctively has an appetite, and if it didn't, we, knew that we would know there's something wrong. The soul also needs to have an appetite. We, even when we tend to do everything right, he writes to Bilbavi, we tend to do everything right. We're doing it not because we're hungry for it. We're doing it so my son doesn't eat. If, he, if you didn't make him eat, he wouldn't eat. He's not hungry. He's never hungry. He has, it'll kick in. But for now, you've got to identify his best foods. You've got to chase him around with the food. You've got to force feed him. You've got to tell him, you've got to eat. You have to eat something. You've got to eat. You've got to eat. So we, what do we do? We go to Davin, we go to Shul, we do the chesed. Why? Because we feel obligated. Because you got to eat, you got to nourish the soul. The goal is to get to a place where the soul has an appetite. That just like the body, if it skipped a meal, would be ravenous. Just like the body, even if you came at home at 1 a.m., you're going to eat something on your way to bed. Now you say, what are you, crazy? You're going to sleep. Just go to sleep. You'll eat in the morning. No, I skipped dinner. I'm hungry. I'm not going to sleep till I eat something. The soul should have an equal sense of an appetite. That, you know, if the soul wasn't fed all day, it could be 1 a.m., but before I go to bed, I've got to feed the soul. I'm saying some Tehillim, I'm reading a book, I'm learning some Torah. I've got to do something to feed my soul before I fall asleep. I am exhausted, just like I would eat before passing out. I have to eat, the soul has to eat before it goes to sleep. And, I love that analogy. So the soul doesn't have an empty. The soul, so, so, so what have, he's saying there is... I think it's amazing, the analogy. I just think... So it doesn't have one, so we need to exercise it so that it naturally will have Exactly. One. What he says is exactly that. I, I what he's saying is awesome. that just like we realize that a healthy body has an appetite, that having an appetite is a sign of good health, so too having a spiritual appetite to be fed is a sign of good spiritual health. And that if we fail to have that spiritual appetite, we have to ask ourselves why. So... I daven three times a day. I even come to shul with a minion three times a day. Do I do it because I'm putting a check next to the checklist because I want to be a good Jewish boy and that's what I'm supposed to do? Or do I do it because I say, you know, I'm hungry. I got to go eat. I got to go eat through davening. I can't wait to open the sitter and talk to Hashem. I have so many things to thank Him for. I have so much to ask of Him, so many needs. I have so many priorities to calibrate that I need davening to do. Do I daven because it's an obligation and I got to check it off? I got to discharge it? Or do I daven because I have this appetite, this hunger that I want to daven? And I haven't davened in a little while, and so I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in a little while, so I'm hungry. I haven't davened in a little while, I'm hungry. So again, what he's saying is exactly this notion that, that the way to evaluate whether we're healthy or not is, you can see somebody who eats, but they say, I'm never really hungry, but I eat because I, I have to eat because I realize that I'm going to die if I don't eat. 
Is that person healthy? No. no, the sign of health is that there's a healthy appetite, particularly from a Jewish perspective. Esmein kind, why aren't you eating? Are you eating? Do you have an appetite? What's the matter? Why aren't you hungry? For a mother, that's like more than an MRI or a CAT scan or a blood test is if you don't have an appetite, why aren't you? What do you mean you're not hungry? What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? What do you mean you're not hungry? That's just not a Jewish trait. What do you mean you're not hungry? So we have to say to ourselves spiritually, what do you mean you're not hungry? Right? What do you mean you're not hungry? I understand. I relate to not being hungry spiritually. But what do, you, what do we mean we're not hungry? How could we be so unhealthy that we're not hungry? And how do we get back to a place where we're hungry? How can we get back to a place where we say, if I skip a spiritual meal, I'm hungry. If I skip a spiritual meal, I'm hungry. If a day goes by and I didn't feed my neshama by giving, by volunteering, by calling someone, by checking in, by opening a sitter, by talking to us, if a day goes by, let alone a meal, I'm hungry. And there are days, by the way, where we didn't have time to eat or with circumstances didn't allow us to eat and we wake up that next morning ravenous, starving. Our stomach's growling. Does our, stomach, does our spiritual stomach growl? And so what he's saying, I'm only a little bit into this piece, this essay he has, the Bilvavi, so by next week I could tell you what he says more, is that during Elul is about asking ourselves, why am I not hungry? If I'm hungry, that's great. What's my diet? What's my spiritual diet? And if I'm not hungry, why am I not hungry? And the same way that if you didn't have a physical appetite, what would you do? He writes this. If you didn't have a physical appetite, you went to the doctor and you say, Doc, I don't know what's going on. I'm never hungry. I'm shedding weight like crazy. I have no appetite. Doctor's going to run some blood tests. And if the blood tests don't come back and tell you what it is, he's going to do a CAT scan. Doesn't tell you he's going to do an MRI. He's going to do a series of workout tests, everything, until he can tell you why you have no appetite. So we come to the spiritual doctor and we say, Shem, I have no appetite. And we make the mistake of thinking, Davin doesn't do it for me. I'm not really interested. Or even I daven, but I don't really get anything out of it. I do this mitzvah, that mitzvah, I do this chesed, that tzedakah, I do bikr chol, and it doesn't really do anything for me. So then the doctor says, well, we've got to do some tests. Those are symptoms. Just like if you exhibit physical symptoms, a doctor is going to want to find what's the cause. Right? So now say a blood test comes back and it shows, well, you've got an infection. You have a very high white count. What's the next thing the doctor is going to want to know? Why do you have a white fit? Where's this infection? What organ is the infection in? What was the cause of the infection? Is it viral? Is it bacterial? Where is this infection from? So, so too, when you do the spiritual evaluation, you say, my kibbutz aim is bad, my chesed is bad, my stuck is bad, my davening is bad, my learning is bad. There's an infection. So don't, don't get confused or distracted by the symptoms. Identify the infection and say, where is this infection coming from? Is there a problem in my amuna with Hashem? What is the source of my spiritual infection that I have no appetite? Why do I have no appetite? So we make the mistake of stopping too often at the point of having no appetite. But really we have to get to the next level, which is to try to identify, to get to the crux of, just like a doctor would do physically, why do you have no appetite? Well, spiritually, why do you have no appetite? I understand your davening is not flowing well. I understand you have no desire to learn. I understand you have no desire to be given. I got it. But why? What's the source of that infection? Where is, what's going wrong? Why is it? And let's fix that. And that's what Elul's about. What's the source of that infection, and can we fix that? We'll pick up from here. And Mirza Hashem, next week.